0: the happy last Sunday of October, basically Christmas time. Galatians chapter 2 is where we'll be this morning. We're looking at verses 15 through 21, the end of the chapter. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and another opportunity to come together to worship you, to worship your great name, and to praise you for your goodness and many blessings. Lord, we want to pray today for the family of June Craft and the loss of her daughter Kathy. Lord, we pray for June. We pray for Kathy's siblings and kids and for that entire family, Lord, on this sudden and unexpected loss. Lord, we also pray for the Lobster family with their loss that they experienced on Friday. For both of these families, Lord, we pray for your nearness to them in times of loss. Lord, we praise you for little ones improving from illness, for Edward and for Jacob. Lord, we are so thankful that they are doing better and on the mend. And we thank you that you're a God who answers prayers. Lord, we Continue to pray for this church, Lord, for the people in this church, that we would be growing as your disciples and followers, shining light brighter to all of those with whom we interact, with family and friends and coworkers. Lord, that we would be a light in a dark world. Lord, we pray for Courtney Davis and for her treatments, and we're thankful for good reports we've heard, but we want to continue to pray for more and more good news. Lord, we want to pray that radiation not be necessary, and Lord, we just continue to lift her up as well. And Lord, we also praise you for answered prayers with Betty's little granddaughter, Annalise, and the recovery that she's made, and that she's back in school, and Lord, we praise you for that as well. Lord, you are a good God, We rejoice in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The sovereign citizen movement is a fringe political ideology which denies accountability under laws without an individual consenting to the law. The term has been in the news more frequently the last few weeks due to the trial of Darrell Brooks Jr. in Wisconsin. Last November, Brooks was responsible for driving a car into a crowd of people at a Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin. The incident killed six people and resulted in 62 others being injured. The trial, if you've watched it or followed it at all, was a spectacle. Brooks rejected his own name, repeatedly got combative on numerous occasions both with the judge and with prosecutors. Now, we can look at that situation and any reasonable person can see the obvious flaws in his ideology and his approach. Yet, when it comes to theology and the will of God, I would argue that many people act like they're, what I'll call, sovereign theologians. So many reject the word of God and act like his truths don't apply to them unless they say so. They act like they can speak about eternal realities based on little more than preference or what they think. But when it comes to the subject of sin, the reality is that we are guilty. We have violated God's law. We can feel as innocent or vindicated as we wanna feel, but that is not the thing that ultimately matters before a holy God. We sin, not just once in a while. It's not like we committed You know, a sin one time when we were a kid, and then some other time in college would have otherwise been pretty much on the straight and narrow. No, we're sinful people, and we are guilty. And on our trial, before the righteous judge, we stand condemned of what we've done. We have no objections. We have no evidence that exonerates us. We are guilty of the crime of sin, and our sin brings death. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus takes that penalty for you. He takes the punishment in your place. He bears the wrath for you. And in him doing that, when you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are no longer guilty. It's not that the punishment went away, but that Christ bore the punishment on your behalf on the cross. In theological terms, that's called justification. And I've talked about justification before because it's an important doctrine, but justification theologically refers to right legal standing before God. When we believe in the gospel and what Christ has done, we are justified by faith. But apart from Christ, you have no advocate and are guilty and must bear those consequences yourself. The thing that's always amazed me about this sovereign citizen movement is that you can believe whatever you wanna believe, but if you run around and still do illegal things, you can say those laws don't apply to you until you're blue in the face, but you're still gonna get charged, and if convicted, you're still going to prison. Darrell Brooks was still found guilty and is going to spend the rest of his life in prison. A person can say that they haven't sinned or that their sins aren't that big of a deal or that God should just forgive them or whatever else they want to say, but none of that changes the mind of an almighty and holy God. And the verdict is this, you're guilty. In today's passage, we conclude Galatians chapter 2, we've spent the last couple of weeks looking at controversies in the early church regarding the law of the Old Testament. Two weeks ago, there was a circumcision controversy. Last week, there was a food related controversy related to the food laws of the Old Testament. In both situations, you had Jewish Christians trying to impose Old Testament law on new Gentile non Jewish Christians. And today's passage is really the answer as to why that was a problem it's because the law cannot save you. Your goodness. Your morality cannot save you because no matter how good you are, you're still sinful. People who were trying to impose the law on Gentile Christians who were misunderstanding the gospel because we are justified in Christ, not in our ability to follow the law. And with that, we come to our passage today. And the main idea of this passage is that Jesus saves us because we cannot save ourselves. And we'll be looking at this morning's passage in three parts. And with that, we'll jump into our text today. First section, faith versus law, looking at verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Paul's reminding the audience of his Jewish faith. Paul was a Jewish Christian. Peter, with whom he had had a confrontation last week, was also a Jewish Christian. They had both been men who had grown up observing the law of the Old Testament. When Paul talks about Gentile sinners, that seems almost a bit tongue-in-cheek from Paul. He's saying, Peter, we're Jewish. We're God's chosen people. We have the law. We knew the will of God, not like these heathen Gentiles. But in verse 16, Paul will explain why that ultimately didn't do them any good, first part of verse 16. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. He's showing the common ground that they have. Paul says, we agree that we can't be justified by our actions. Why? Why is Paul saying that we can't be justified by works of the law? There's a couple reasons why we can't be. First, because we can't live up to it. We can't actually follow the law of God, and it's as true for us today as it was for people at the beginning of the church. No one is righteous. We are sinful, and like I said in the beginning, it's not just that we sin sometimes or that we're basically good but not perfect. We're not people who sin. We're sinners. The Bible says that all sin and all fall short of the glory of God. Jesus shows that we sinned so much that we needed a savior to come to redeem us. Secondly, because the law cannot save a person. The law can't do what it was never intended to do. The purpose of the law was never to be made righteous by it. In fact, the law shows that we can't be made righteous by it. In the Old Testament law, no matter how hard you tried, there were still sacrifices that needed to be made and sins that needed to be atoned for on the day of atonement. It could not be done perfectly. But that's what a holy God requires. Now the good news is that there is grace, and we see grace throughout the Bible. Before the law was even given, God had made a promise to Abraham in the book of Genesis. When God had made his promise to Abraham, Genesis 15:6 says that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul will actually refer to that event in the next chapter, Galatians 3. Before the law was given, we are shown what actually mattered was belief and faith, the faith that Abraham had in the promise of God. So Paul tells a person, a person is not justified by works of the law. Again, to be justified is to be in right legal standing before God. It's that when God judges you, he will look not to what you've done, but instead he will look to what Jesus has done for you. And by faith in the truth of that, it is credited to us as righteousness. We are justified. Our goodness, our obedience, our morality and good behaviors are not the basis for our justification. The only works that save us are the works of Christ. I read a story about a college professor, and I'll preface this by saying, I'm not sure that this actually happened, but even if it didn't, it's a good illustration of a point. It was time for the final exam, and the professor placed the test face down on each student's desk and told them to wait until it was time, to wait until he told them the exam could start, before they flipped over the exams. When the time came, the students turned over the tests and each exam already had its name already written on it in red. The answers to the questions had also been filled in. On the final page of the test, a note was written. It said, this is the end of the exam. All the answers on your test are correct. You will receive an A on the final exam. The reason you passed the test is because the creator of the test took it for you all the work you did in preparation for this test did not help you get the A. You've just experienced grace. I wish I could have had a teacher like that at some point. But The professor then went around the room asking the students, what is your grade? Do you deserve the grade you're receiving? How much did all your studying for this exam help you in achieve your final grade? Sometimes you learn from lectures. Some things you can learn from research, but some things can only be learned from experience. He said to the class, you've just experienced grace 100 years from now. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, your name will be written down in a book and you will have nothing to do with having written it there. When we come to Jesus in faith, he takes the test for us. He went before the judge and accepted the punishment for us. We had a debt that we could never pay, and Jesus paid it for us. Everything we have is because of the work of Christ. With the law of God, it shows us the holiness of God, and it shows us our inability to follow it because we're sinful. It points us to our need for grace from God and the grace that is found in what Jesus has done for us. Us being pretty good is not good enough for a perfect and holy God. But the good news is that Jesus did live that life. He is the one who was truly innocent, but he took the charges of the guilty so that we could be justified. Not only does Jesus save us, but he totally saves us. It's not that he saves you from what you've done in the past, and then you come to know him, and now it's up to you to get it right the rest of the way. It's not that we're basically pretty good, but there's like a forgiveness gap insurance for those who aren't quite good enough, and so Jesus just takes care of getting us the rest of the way there. It's not like we're a couple dollars short and somebody else kicks in and pays the rest of the tab for us. It's not 50-50. It's not 90-10. It's 100-0. to Jesus saves us entirely. You contribute nothing to your own salvation. Jesus saves us because we cannot save ourselves. And I know I keep beating that drum this morning, but it can be such a hard thing for us to truly believe, because I think we like this sense of control. Like, part of it is on us. Like, if we're being good, we deserve certain things. Look again at the rest of verse 16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The more we have an understanding of the law of God, the more we see how we fail to measure up. We can mock the law. Some skeptics like to cite things in the Old Testament that they think seem irrelevant. But at the heart of the law of God is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. Have you done that perfectly? No. We're constantly taking our eyes off God. We are constantly choosing to do what we want to do over what God wills for us to do. The law says that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. Have you done that? Can we agree that it would be virtuous to do that? Of course we can. But we haven't done it. The law says we aren't to lie. Have you followed that perfectly? We have failed on the main points. We have failed on the small points. We are totally incapable of following the law. And the more we understand the law of God, the more we understand and appreciate that we can't perfectly follow it because we stand condemned and guilty for a crime that we commit every day of our lives. Understanding the law shows us our failure to measure up. And then it shows us, as I've said before, our need for grace. And the Lord Jesus came to earth for us and followed that law perfectly. And he followed it completely. And he did that for you. Jesus loves you. A personal God loves you enough to die for you. Some people think, well, I didn't ask him to do that. There was no other way. We can reject the idea of faith and still want to rely on our own good lives, but the Bible repeatedly says that that is not an option. Jesus loved us enough to provide a way for imperfect people who do not deserve him to be with him. If we are justified by Jesus, then we are not justified by our works. If we could be justified by our works, then we wouldn't be justified by Jesus. Verse 16 ends by saying, Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Who will be justified by works of the law? No one. The grace of God is freely given. We accept what God has given to us, but we can't earn what has already been given. When a Christian acts as though faith isn't enough on its own, then we're saying, That Christ's glory isn't enough. That his perfection isn't enough. That his death and resurrection aren't enough. That he needs our help to save us. And that's a blasphemous idea. Jesus saves us because we cannot save ourselves. To say that you believe in Jesus, and then to think that it's not really about faith in him, to think that there are other ways to get to him, That's looking at the cross, that's looking at what Jesus has done, the death he died, and saying, what you did doesn't really matter. I'm going to try to make my own way. But there is no other way. Have you trusted in Jesus? Or do you ultimately trust in yourself, in your life, what you're doing? There's nothing to earn. It's about realizing that you're a sinner in need of grace and turning to Christ and that that is the only way to God. We come to our second point, objections to Paul, verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Paul's making reference to being justified in Christ, and he asks, if that means that Christ somehow promotes sin, as if justification by faith is a license to sin, and Paul rejects this idea. All of this raises a question that has existed since the beginning of the church. If you wanna say that we can't be good enough and that it's all about faith, then can a person just do whatever they want? If Jesus is gonna forgive me anyway, what difference does it make? Don't we lose incentive to be good people? In Romans chapter 6, Paul flatly rejects this idea when he says, Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. That's not what Paul is advocating. He'll talk in verse 20 about Christ being in him. And in the same way, the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, is in all believers. You have to have faith, real faith, Not just empty words, saying that you believe in something if you don't really believe in it. But truly trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and Justifier. But we still must understand that even when we follow things that are in step with the will of God, that our obedience to those things is not our salvation. The great 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, Justification by faith does not make us think lightly of sin. On the contrary, it creates in us such a love to God that we loathe the very idea of offending Him. For the tendency of the gospel of grace is to excite the gratitude in those who receive it. If I am freely pardoned, then I must love Him who has thus generously forgiven me. Gratitude is the root of true virtue in the mainspring of holiness. When we truly begin to understand the grace of God, the forgiveness we have, that's supposed to make us want to live for God, not to test the limits of how bad we can be, because that attitude shows a person who doesn't truly understand the gospel. A few chapters from now, Paul will talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And part of the point of Paul talking about those things, things like love, joy, peace, patience, are the fruit of the Spirit are things that are produced by the holy spirit in a person who has the holy spirit. So it's not about haphazardly saying that you have faith when you really don't. Real faith results in a person having God's spirit as a born again regenerate Christian believer. And faith produces fruit. The gospel makes an impact. But the distinction is an understanding that the fruit isn't what's saving you. The fruit is the proof that you've already been saved. And so when we hear the message of forgiveness, the response doesn't need to be to hear it and then going right back to trying to earn God's love or approval. It's what Paul says in verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor rebuilding what was torn down. Paul says, I proved myself to be a transgressor. He's saying, with all that we know about the gospel and grace, to continue to put our faith in our performance in itself is sin. It would be like after America had won the Revolutionary War, still still expecting someone to be loyal to the British king. But that wouldn't make sense anymore. Because the British laws weren't, in effect, rebuilding what was torn down. Imagine yourself in a body of water. And suddenly, waves start crashing down on you, and you're disoriented. You begin to feel helpless and struggle against the water. And then you get rescued by some boaters. They pull you out. They save you. It's not you and them. It's them saving you. To then go back to the law would be like getting onto their boat and then jumping right back into the water. Jesus wants us to trust in him and him alone for our salvation. He is our hope. And you can't save yourself when you're already saved. It's not that the law was pointless, but the point of it was never to save. We come to our third section. Paul's response, verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Paul says that he has died to the law. We're dead to the law in the sense that we're no longer subservient to it. In Romans, Paul says that he is dead both to the law and to sin. It's the idea that being in the new life that is found in Jesus, we are no longer under the penalty of sin. And in not being under the penalty of sin, we are logically not under the law, since we are under grace, we are justified by faith and faith alone. And for the person who is in Christ, who has faith in the gospel, you will not be any more justified 10 minutes after you've been in heaven than you are right now, you are justified freely and forever. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We live for God. If you're here today and saying that you believe in Jesus, but you don't really care about living for him, then I would ask if you even really appreciate the grace that's been offered to you. The gospel is something that's meant to be cherished. It's something to take joy in. It's something to love. It's the salvation that God has given us. And when we understand it, we grow in deeper appreciation for it. When we understand the gospel, we have a deeper understanding of how great our sin is. So great that the only way for it to be forgiven was for Jesus to take the penalty for us. And then we grow in gratitude for what God has done. We live for him. It's not about living in fear of if we measure up because we don't measure up. But Jesus does, and Jesus has come for us, and he has come to give us life. Verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now obviously we haven't literally been crucified with Christ. We've been crucified with him in the sense that he was crucified for us. He was crucified on our behalf, and we have died with Him so that we can live with Him. As Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That when we place our faith in God, we are given the Spirit of God. Christ lives in you in the sense that when you come to faith, as I mentioned a few moments ago, you are born again through the Holy Spirit. and. Living by His will no longer becomes about thinking that we're earning with God, like it's some sort of fuel perks or rewards program at a restaurant. Rather, it's about recognizing the life that is found in the teaching and word of God, in the wisdom of God. And it's having a desire to live by that and live for Him. Quoting again from our passage. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live by faith. We are justified by faith. We receive the forgiveness through faith, and the righteousness of Jesus is given to us. But again, we still do commit sins, but we're forgiven. Just because the judge says you're not guilty doesn't mean you're good just means the punishment for what you've been charged with won't be held against you. But we do continue to struggle. We continue to wrestle with problems. But there is infinite grace because God is faithful. I know, speaking for myself, I slip up sometimes. Maybe I say or do something I shouldn't say or do. Maybe I don't really treat someone as kindly as I should. Maybe it's not even something outward that I do. But just in allowing myself to be discontent with circumstances or bitter, and I lose sight. And when I do that, I can be so self-condemning, like I'm back to square one, like I've thrown away everything I've worked for, or like I'm climbing some ladder up to God and just got knocked down a few rungs. But that's not the gospel. We have assurance of our forgiveness. All of our sins are forgiven at the cross. Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. Verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul says that Jesus died for nothing if salvation can be earned. Now, I know people who say that they're Christians who don't really accept that Jesus is the only way. They think about people who they know who they deem to be a good person, and think that surely that person is justified, even if they're living a totally godless life, then why did Jesus die? Does his grace just extend to everyone, regardless of if they want it or not? That's a man-made gospel that leads people into darkness and affirms that a person can just do or believe whatever they want. But that's not the gospel. And it's not an idea that's found in the Bible. Again, we're not sovereign theologians. Jesus died for nothing if our righteousness were through our obedience to the law. Jesus died for nothing if there was another way to get to God. We are imperfect. We could never follow the law. But Jesus followed it for us. He shows us the perfection of God on earth. And so, As I wind down, I ask this question. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about his role in your salvation? Do you believe that he loved you enough to justify you freely? I think of the traps we can fall into with the gospel. I think one of them is believing it, but we still say things like, I need to try harder. And then we slip up and we feel like we really need to work on that. And it's fine to recognize sins and areas of your life that you want to change. But just to also understand that even if you do better, that doesn't make you more forgiven or more justified. That we've already been given the forgiveness. There are things that God wills for us to do. Those commandments are reiterated in the New Testament. But there's a difference between doing them because we think that they're somehow making us right with God versus doing them out of a love for God, out of a knowledge that since it's from God, that it's a better way to live, that it's pointing to a greater joy and God-honoring life to live for Him. Again, the text and the book of Galatians weren't written to tell us that we can do whatever we want and none of it matters. It was written to tell us that faith in Christ is what saves. Fear of punishment does not need to be our motivation to follow the will of God. Our motivation should be the love of God and the recognition that His ways are true and good. Maybe you don't really believe in the gospel, but you wish you knew God. But you carry so much shame or regret that you act like you need to take care of how messed up you are before you can even think about really getting to know God or building a relationship with Him. That you act like you, in reality, need to climb up part of the way to be worthy of God picking you up the rest of the way. Like you need to kind of help yourself along. The good news is that God takes you where you are, as you are, It's not climbing part of the way up. Jesus saves us fully. He saves us because we cannot save ourselves. So I again ask, what do you believe about him really? Do we relegate Jesus to a source of some good moral teachings, but act like ultimately we're really the one who's responsible for saving ourselves? Do we pick and choose teachings to believe and invent a good Jesus, but one who's not really our savior? Do we believe in him and say the right answers, but still our faith in our heart of hearts is rooted in how good we are? Is your life of faith a constant struggle of feeling like you need to try harder? If you've never trusted in Jesus, know that we have a God who loves you so much that he came for you. He knew you couldn't measure up, but he came anyway. And if you know that Jesus is the Lord... Let us not rebuild what has been destroyed. Let us not struggle in earning what has already been given to us. Jesus came to save us because we cannot save ourselves. We accept it and continue to know him and live by the truth of his word. We have faith. We trust in what God has done and the grace that is freely given. We are justified by faith in Jesus and by nothing else because Jesus came to save us because we cannot save ourselves. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we once again praise you for the forgiveness that is found in Christ, Lord, that he has come into the world, lived a perfect life, and gone to the cross to redeem sinful people. And May we be a church of people who know that and who believe in Christ. And who, as a response to the salvation and the sweet sound of his amazing grace, live lives to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.